Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Sarah Zylstra is back with us, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, also co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Sarah, we're glad you're back. Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure, Sarah. So you're here to talk about the one-year anniversary of the Ukraine-Russian war. Is, Is that tomorrow? Yes, it is tomorrow. It is February 24, has been one year since Russian missiles and tanks rolled into Ukraine. Holy smokes. Um, It's hard to believe. Yes, it is hard to believe. It seems uh, so fast and so long ago at the same time, doesn't it? It sure does. Um, And of course, Uh, you know, we're so uh, disconnected from it. Um, You know, we have we have a friend who's a pastor who will send us updates and photos from time to time. But uh, the destruction and the upheaval that's happened in Ukrainians lives are just unimaginable. Yes. And sometimes so I've been researching this for the Gospel Coalition because the question I'm asking whenever something super dark like this happens is, where is God? Mm-hmm. How could he possibly let this happen? This seems insane. Like, what a terrible, horrific occurrence. Why didn't God stop this? Um, I don't know if your listeners are asking that, but I certainly was. And so I started looking into that. And i got to tell you, I'd, I'd love to tell you a couple of stories because um, he is there and I have I found where he is working. Oh, fabulous. Oh, I want to hear um, the story. Okay, I'll tell you, I've got a couple of them for you. One of them, there's a pastor, within the, uh, the first couple of days, Russia grabbed, as you know, probably a whole swath of Ukraine, the kind of that borderland that touches Russia. And in those cities that were there, there were some Christian, evangelical Christian churches inside there. And one had a pastor named Alexander. And he said as soon as his area was captured, he started driving people, he would started driving, right? So he would drive to the free area with people from his church. He had a pretty large church with a lot of young families. He'd drive them out, he'd get some food and come back in. And then he would just keep going back and forth over the border until one day they wouldn't let him pass anymore. And then a couple days after that, they came to his house and asked him to come to the police station with them. And when they dropped a bag over his head, he knew he was in trouble. Mm. So they beat him for a couple of days he said, I couldn't figure out why they what, what they wanted, um, except for the language they were using with him. They kept telling him things like, we won't let you live here. There will only be one church here. The Russian Orthodox Church is the only right way. You can't be here. Um, and so, and later started accusing him of working with the West, which is what a lot of Russian troops did with a lot of um, evangelical pastors there. Accused them of working with Americans. Um, they beat him, his whole body, broke his left arm, and he said, I can remember sitting in a cell and praying. He's like, I know that God let let um, Daniel out, for, saved him from the lion's den. He let Peter out of prison. Um, like, there, I know that he can do this, so God, please let me out. And he said, I couldn't feel any response from God. It felt like God was silent, and it was the worst feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up getting so sick from being beaten that they took him to the hospital. And a few weeks after a few weeks of recovery, he got to go home. And he said, while I was sitting at home recovering, it dawned on me that God did answer my prayer. Mm. He physically saved me from that place. So even when it felt like God was silent and I was sitting in a vacuum, God was still there. And what a lesson for us that even when it feels like God is silent, that doesn't mean he's not working mm. and it doesn't mean he's not saving us. Um, so that's one of my stories. Are you ready for another one? Yep. Okay. There's a girl named Tess, and she actually works for the Gospel Coalition's Ukrainian website, which we launched within the last year. 
Um, and when she lives right next to Kiev. So that when that first wave came through, they came and they were aiming for Kiev right off the bat. They came right through her town. And she said, we didn't know what to do at first. You know, we just hung up heavy blankets on the windows, figuring, I guess, the glass will break and this will keep it from coming into the house. Um, they went to the grocery stores. But boy, if you think that Americans in a snowstorm will buy out a grocery store, um, picture a war coming, and the mm. grocery stores were just totally wiped out. But this is so interesting. Her grandma had lived through World War II, in which Poland, maybe you don't remember, but was carved up between Soviet Russia and Germany. And so her grandma, who lived through that, always kept like extra food, non-perishables on hand. So they had enough to eat. She started baking bread for the you know, church. She didn't know what else to do. Eventually, she and her mom ended up leaving, and they were refugees for a couple of months. And then they came back, and she said, and she was texting with her boyfriend, who had joined the Ukrainian army the next day. Think all those boys who joined the United States Army the day after 9-11. Mm -hmm. He did that, the same thing. And she said she was texting with him one weekend in October, and he didn't text back. And she was like, no big deal. There's The cell phone connections are a disaster. Um, but she kept messaging him, and four days later, his friend called and said, you can stop texting because he, he's not going to answer you. He's been killed in action. And she said mm -hmm. she just fell into the deepest pit of despair. She's young. They were planning to get married. Um, her whole future is gone. The person she loves most in the world is gone. She's like, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I didn't read my Bible. I was furious with God. And she said, I couldn't really talk to the people in my church about it because Number one, it hurt like crazy to talk about. But number two, four other members of her church have been killed in action, and 14 are in the Army. So this is a church where they are all so wounded and raw and right next to the action. She almost felt, she just felt like she couldn't even talk about it. Mm -hmm. So she said I, she lived in that kind of pit of, of anger and despair for probably like five to six weeks. And then she said, one day I just prayed and I just said, God, I know you have love and peace for me. Please let me feel it. And she fell asleep crying. And when she woke up, she just felt renewed. She's like, I felt like God was with me. I could feel his spirit with me. Um, I, I went back to work. I went back to church. I went back to volunteering, all the things I had done before. It's just like God picked her up in the place when she was really at her darkest. Mm. Um, yes. which is a beautiful story. Can I tell you one more? Yes, we'd love to hear. Okay. okay. Um, I love this one. Okay, so there is a guy who grew up in Ukraine. He's Ukrainian. His name is Alexander. Everybody is there. Yeah. I feel like his name Alexander. Yes. Um, so he said when he, he, he was a Christian, he wanted to go into mission work. And when he was looking at the countries around there, there's just a lot of need. Because of all the former Soviet countries, Ukraine is like, for some reason, in God's providence, it's like the Bible Belt. They have the most Christians. They have the most churches. They have the most seminaries. Um, they're the most theologically solid. So when you're looking at that area, there's a lot of places you can go. He went to Poland. And he said he worked there and worked there, and he had a church of about 20 people. And he said during COVID, that actually got to about 40. And that packed out his space because churches there are that small, and that's how small their spaces are, too. So he said when this happened in Ukraine, um, as Russia pushes in from one end, geographically, um, Poland's on the other side. So if you're going to run away from Russia, you're running toward Poland. There had been more than 9 million border crossings of Ukrainians coming into Poland. Some stay for a while and leave. About a million and a half are still there. 
And he said, my church, I went, so it was like crazy with refugee help. He said, the Polish, you can even see God in the common grace of, he's like, the, the Poles love to help. They remember what it was like in that World War II when nobody was there for mm-hmm. them. They said at one, he said, at one point in time, there were more Polish people with cars waiting at the border to receive Ukrainians than there were Ukrainians coming across oh the border. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that insane? That's fabulous. He said, it's amazing. And so he said, my church exploded with growth. Said there is not a church in Poland that does not have a Ukrainian family in it. Mm. Said what an encouragement for us. He said the war is a terrible, horrible thing, but this is changing the map in terms of Christianity, at least in Poland and in these other countries where they land as well, Mm. where they are bringing the gospel with them to these border countries and places where they land. They're just like those missionaries. I think about Jerusalem in the early days of the early church when persecution sent them out. And in so many ways, it feels like persecution here is terrible. But boy, the Ukrainian church that's scattering around Europe is bringing Jesus with them. Wow. Sarah, those are three terrific stories. Where is God in the midst of this? I mean, you've just answered that question. I, I think oftentimes we think of, you know, God as the blanket over all of this, that, you know, God mm-hmm. could end this war right now. That's kind of what we're expecting. But here, this woven tapestry of God in the mix of all these things, I mean, it does give you hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fabulous. He is still at work. Yep. Wait, so Sarah, you you talked about um, that uh, the Gospel Coalition, of of course, which you're part of, has started a Ukrainian edition. Tell us that. Yes. So this past year, we actually started a Ukrainian edition and a Russian edition, um, and which is so fascinating because the God is also at work in Russia. Um, do we have time for a Russia story? Yeah. Or we have time? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so there's a pastor who's in Russia. He's in Moscow. And I talked to him like, hey, you know, you're in such a weird position. He said when he just cried, he said, when when we first invaded, I just cried and cried and cried. Um, And in my prayers, I'm weeping for the Ukrainian people because these are like, you know, their, their languages are similar. They've got so much similar history. He does a lot of work. The Christians in Ukraine and Russia do a lot of work together. So he, the cuts went deep here. And some, when Russia invaded some Ukrainians, if you couldn't, if you were all like kind of already behind those front lines, you couldn't run out the Poland direction. You ran out the Moscow direction. And some of them stayed in Moscow, but a lot of them, um, he was hauling them to like give them some food and money and bring them to the border and then they could escape to some other countries through there. Wow. Um, he's got a, a couple of unique challenges. One is, of course, that the banks got shut down right away, so he couldn't get any outside funding. So he said we, we, it was impossible for us to give financial help to people after a little while. His, their economy is, is not doing very well. All their, their um, His personal budget for his family, he said, is down by 50%. <laughs> but so he's, so he's working with refugees. But he said, um, our church is growing. And he said, we, I've got the weirdest church because he's got people in the church who work as government officials and people who really hate what the government is doing. He's got women in his church whose husbands are fighting in the Russian army. And he said in September, I don't know if you remember when Russia conscripted a whole bunch of people into the army. Yes, yes. A lot of guys fled because they were like, I can't, especially Christians, they were like, we can't do this. This is an immoral war. Um, and so they fled. So he, here's a church that has got women whose husbands fled and women whose husbands are fighting. 
they're trying to support all these Christians. He said there's also in those areas that were that are Russian occupied, everybody left. And the Christians who are left are the most needy, the oldest, the poorest, the ones who literally, you know, they could find no way to leave. And so he's trying to kind of backfill in there and help there. There's just so much need that he sees. But he said, all I do, I have this church of all these people. I'm preaching the gospel. Like all I can do is preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And he said, our church is growing like crazy. Um, he said, um, many Sundays now we have twice as many visitors as we have members at our church. There are people, they're just, you know, when you're, when your society is all shaken up, especially young men or mothers, like, you know, death is so close to them, much closer than it's been before. And they're asking a lot of questions and they're searching for the Lord. And he's got 200 people in his membership class right now. And so he's seeing so much fruit of the spirit. And yet it's also such a, uh, such a tragic time to be there. One here, I'll leave you with this is what he said. He said, I, my whole life I've been praying for spiritual renewal inside of Russia. And he said, I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. But he said, I know that before revival comes repentance and your pride has to be crushed. That mm. I can see that happening to us now. And I'm more hopeful than I've ever been that I will, I will live to see a Russian revival of Christianity. Wow. 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 Can you share his name, Sarah? Yes. Yes. His name is Evgeny Batmutsky. And I will tell you this. Both of those, all the stories that I told you will be up on the Gospel Coalition tomorrow. So if your readers are interested in like, what was that again? They will be on the front page of the Gospel Coalition website tomorrow. Outstanding. Four great stories of how God is at work in the Ukraine-Russian war. Sarah, thanks an awful lot. I mean, seriously, those stories, Mm -hmm. you made my day. You gave you some hope. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Truly, you did. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. The Gospel Coalition website, easy to find, filled with great writers, storytellers, like you just heard, with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the middle. Of course, the Gospel Coalition. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.